Good afternoon. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation for July 10th, 2020. For those of you I haven't met, my name is Jeff Harris. I'm the Superintendent of Schools for Del Norte County Unified and Del Norte County Office of Education. Um, our regular weekly podcast, basically it's the time that it takes you to have a cup of coffee with a friend. So we want you to pour a cup of coffee, pour a cup of tea, hot chocolate, glass of water, whatever it is that you like. Sit down with us for the next 20 minutes or so and join us for a conversation about things that are going on in Del Norte County. So today... We have a couple of guests with us. We have Ryan Botten, our director of technology. Is that close enough? Okay, there we go. We'll take it. <laughs> and uh, we have assistant superintendent for student services, Tom Kissinger. Thank you. It's nice to be here. My coffee ready. <laughs> Tom's got his coffee ready. And, and we do want to let you know that um, because we're trying to broaden the scope of who we can uh, have join us on on our podcast each week, uh, Tom is our first call-in uh, guest. And so we're working through that process. So we apologize in advance if there's any um, gap or delay or echo, but we'll, we'll try to make sure that that doesn't happen today. So, Tom, thanks for calling in. Sure, no problem. I'm happy to be the test case. <laughs> So, um, you know, one of the things I want to do is I want to kind of dive right into where we are with school reopening, because I know that that is what's on everybody's mind. And I want really that to be the topic of today's podcast. And quite honestly, we have so much information. This may end up being a two-parter. So um, first of all, just kind of recap what happened last night at the board meeting. Uh, there was a really a long, rich discussion about reopening Um so Ryan, we've been talking, and Tom, we've been talking about those two models, the the AMPM model or the um, alternating day model for, gosh, how long? Well, it's been definitely over a month. Yeah, well over a month um, since before school was over. We've been over. talking about it for quite some time. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we really wanted to do that is to narrow down the possible options to see, you know, what really is viable if we can come back full time. Yeah, and and I think one of our one of our real interests was being able to talk to teachers before they went away for summer vacation, being able to talk to principals, being able to talk to uh, classified staff at a time when folks were still at work or still um, you know still engaged with what was going on. Um, so we we've had these options, we've narrowed them down, we've had a steering committee kind of review the surveys that went out to families, and I do want to take a little bit of time to um, thank all of the people who who answered that survey, um, we had 815 families who answered the survey about their reopening options and their reopening preferences. That was the equivalent of um, over 1,550 students. I think that's probably the most successful survey that we've ever done. So I, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, Jeff, I was going to say, I was, I was pretty impressed with the, the number of respondents. And it really says that it's not just our, our parent community, but our staff. We had, we had quite a few uh, people. I mean, people really, really want to participate. Oh, well, I think that this is important to everybody. I mean, it's whether it's childcare, whether it's work-related, whether it's uh, um, uh, just what education is my child getting, it, it's super important. And, and along with the... Um, 815 families that they really represented every school. You know, Tom, we looked at a lot of that data and it was, it was pretty, pretty well representative. Yeah. I, I thought that being able to see what the staff and what the families uh, 
found from each, uh, what they revealed from each school is very, very important. And in some cases, there were some real different differences that were surprising to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, what we did was last night we presented uh, the survey data to the board. Um, and just to let everybody know, the reason that that survey data wasn't made public prior was the survey didn't end until Monday. So the survey ended on Monday. We shared the um, rough survey data along with those two options. Uh, Tom, you were kind of running a steering committee on Tuesday morning that had Paige Thompson, Marshall Jones, Sarah Mitchell, George Mercado, um, Toby Sean. Uh, uh, Lindy Holloway and Denise Doyle Schnacker and and Summer Pike. Yep. So um, we had a broad group of people who saw that document on Tuesday morning. Um, We added a little bit more of the survey data just prior to going into the board meeting, but the first couple of pages were there. So um, we were still putting that together as late as Tuesday. So that's how on the, Ryan likes to call it the bleeding edge. We're not on the cutting edge. We're on the bleeding edge of what's going on. Most definitely. (laughs) So, um, you know, really all of this data, all of this stuff is new. So last night at the board meeting, our hope was, and I know that several teachers expressed it as well, several classified members and some parents, please just tell us what the option is. Um, however, it was brought up at the board meeting that, um, People did not feel, um, there were a couple of teachers who said they didn't feel that they knew we were talking about those two options or that they had had enough input on additional options. So the board opted to have a special board meeting um, on Tuesday, July 14th. And on Tuesday, they are going to kind of revisit this. And hopefully at that point, they'll give us some direction as we move ahead. Um, And that's at two o'clock for people that are interested in attending. Excuse me. But let's talk a little bit about what we did talk about last night. So one of the things I want to talk about is there's a there's a kind of a misunderstanding out there about the fact that um, um, any any way that we start school would be the way that we're stuck in school for the entire year. So um, not necessarily the case, but Ryan or Tom chime in. What? Yeah, this is Ryan. We. We have, you know, it's a phased, there's lots of phases, right? Phase one, two, three, and four. We'll start with four. That would be, you know, a full return, um, full school day, five days per week, you know, business as historically normal. Um, but again, this is a spectrum, right? Uh, phase one being, you know, pure distance learning, phase two being, you know, a small cohort distance learning, and then phase three being a blended learning. So like Mr. Harris said, we're, we're looking at, you know, basically a spectrum of options. And we could be moving in and out of any or all of these three phases as the year progresses, depending on what, you know, local health orders are and how the how the response to the pandemic might change here in Del Norte County. So. Yeah, Ryan, I want to just jump in there for a second and really emphasize the importance of fluidity, too, because um, and again, we're going to need to really be flexible as a school district and community because we may go in and out of different models. But it's important that we really know what our options are and have some direction as to kind of where to, where to get started with this. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that both of you brought up was, again, the phases and the fluidity. So on our website today, uh, by the end of uh, business on today, which is um, 
Friday, July 10th, um, you should see that phases of reopening document. And those phases of reopening are aligned with the state stages of reopening. So we're currently in stage three. So we're planning on a reopening that is a phase three reopening that kind of mirrors what that state model looks like. And and under the guidance that we currently have, Um, as we move into a stage four, if the stay at home orders are lifted and we go back to school as normal, then that's when we move. Or if it goes to a more restricted phase, then we would also move into that more restricted phase. So um, that's important. And I think the other thing that is really important to know for the community is when we move into phases, these are not... I think by and large, and here again, Tom, Ryan, you guys jump in here, but these are not just random choices that are made by the school district or the school board. They are, I think, movements that are forced on us by the State Department of Public Health or through orders from our local health department. Yeah, again, these these align with the resilience roadmap from California. And, you know, obviously, we're in constant communication with our local health officer, uh, Dr. Raywalt. And, you know, these are, you know, the flexibility and the fluidity between these is is being driven, you know, from those outside of our maybe our decision making process. So let's kind of dive in a little bit. Let, let's talk about what would phase one look like. So, Tom, take a little bit and and share with us, if you would, just a just a smidge about the fact that you know, well, maybe not the fact, but but how distance learning and what we're looking at for true distance learning is different than what we saw during crisis learning. Sure. Well, what we saw during crisis learning was uh, we really tried to put together learning opportunities for students where we were doing some stuff online, sending packets out, um, and really trying to put together as cohesive as possible an, edu- an educational opportunity for students at the very, very beginning of the pandemic. If, if, it were true, if it were true distance learning, that would mean a, a cohesive asynchronous and synchronous effort where, where all students would have access to learning content online and teachers would be delivering that content on a daily basis too. So, so that would be using an educational platform such as Zoom, uh, maybe um, a, a management system like Canvas or Google Classroom, Seesaw, where students would be engaged continuously in distance learning. And so if we're talking about just straight up distance learning, that's to me what that would look like. So. Ryan, I think a lot of our families understand and they've they've engaged at some level. Thanks, Tom, by the way. They've engaged at some level with Seesaw, Google Class, those kind of things. But but Tom mentioned Canvas. So could you let folks know what Canvas is like and is it different from these other things? Is it part of them? How, how What is a learning management system? So, yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a really crucial thing we get some, hopefully get some shared understanding on. So a learning management system is Think about it like an, an umbrella. Uh, maybe that's not the right analogy, but it it is overarching, right? I'm making hand motions. Uh, it's it's it includes tools like curriculum tools like Google Classroom, like Seesaw, like our other district adopted curriculum, whether that's uh, McGraw Hill or you know, Pearson Math. You you name it. These tools, these curriculum resources um, that that our teachers and our staff are already familiar with using, and our students are familiar with using. 
they each require their own logins and there's some complexity to, you know, access and use them. What Canvas does in any learning management system, but Canvas is really the, um, I guess I would say that the cream that the crop, it's what all of our CSU uh, uses. And so our, our, we're prepping our students for college. Um, all these tools live within this learning management system and more. So instead of having to go to Google Classroom and then also to Seesaw and then log out and go to your English curriculum, for example, or your science curriculum, you would just the teacher and the student would be working full time all the time right within that learning management system of Canvas. So, you know, I, I think probably the best analogy I heard was um, Allison Eckert, who's the principal over at uh, Del Norte High. Allison said this is kind of the difference between going to a mall and going to um, Costco, right? So at a mall, you're having to go store to store to find those things that you need. Whereas at Costco, you just kind of walk in and everything is in one big room and you just kind of go down the aisles and grab it. And then you walk out and you've got everything. So it, it eliminates some of that unknown. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited about it. I think, you know, from a from a tech guy perspective, I just think, yes, there's a learning curve to anything like like any new tool um, we may be adopting. But the benefits just far outweigh that that struggle at the beginning um, to have for our teachers and our students and our parents as well. It's important to remember that um, I know all of our parents can know that when crisis learning, you were trying to get you know access to Seesaw and you had to have codes and you're trying to get access to Google Classroom and you had to get an invitation and maybe you couldn't see some of the, the, the direct um, you know, English or math curriculum because there wasn't a way for parents to access that directly. Well, Canvas, with all these tools existing within it, there is, there's, a, there's an app, a, a, a parent-specific Canvas app. There's also a student app and a teacher app. You can access it directly on your, your mobile device. Um, it's built for this type of world where distance learning um, could be occurring. And um, we'll touch later probably on the, the benefits of how Canvas can provide support through this fluid transition between phases as well. One thing I wanted to jump in and say is that um, and maybe with a look, look more towards the future, um, Canvas could play a very, very important role in, in having students access educational content um, if they can't easily come on site. So I think we'll talk about that later, but I think it's a, a good investment in, in, in providing additional learning opportunities for students. Yeah, and, and I would agree. You know, I think a learning management system, and Canvas is one of many learning management systems, but a learning management system, given some of the guidance that we've gotten from the state, um, I think is going to be critical to moving forward with distance learning. Um, you know, we, we had talked about a variety of, of distance learning options and how it might look, but the state set out some pretty clear guidance on what's going to happen with district learning. Oh my gosh, I've got a frog in my throat. I've, allergy season is upon us. <clears throat> So, um, you know, so when we were talking about distance learning, we've, we've talked a lot about what it is, but, you know, we've also heard the frustrations of some parents. We've heard the frustrations of some staff members. But just to let everybody know, the guidance from the state on distance learning, um, there hadn't been any previously. As of last week, there is a very clear, um, I think, set of guidance that came out as part of a budget trailer bill. And that was trailer bill AB 77. And what AB 77 says is that we have to have technology for kids to have at home that's connected to the internet. Um, all the work that they do has to be grade level standards based. It, they have to have access to academic and other support, special ed services. Um, we have to have designated integrated instruction for English learners. 
and daily live interaction with certificated employees and peers for instruction progress monitoring, school connectedness. And then on top of all that, not part of really the learning environment, but what our staff was exceptionally good at over this last closure and over this summer, which is providing adequate meals. I'll try that. I'm going to add one more piece that I think um, I think is really important. And this kind of ties into the canvas piece. I'm, I'm just going to read this, um, you know, how the school district will provide continuity of instruction during the school year to ensure pupils have access to a full curriculum of substantially similar quality, regardless of the method of delivery. This shall include a plan for resources that will ensure instructional continuity for pupils if a transition between in-person instruction and distance learning is necessary. And I think I think that's a really a key point as part of this. This is right there in that AB 77 trailer language. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And, and the transition are likely. Yeah, I think the chances of us having transitions are, are higher than those not having transitions. So Well, exactly. And in my conversation with Dr. Raywalt, that's exactly what we've talked about is regardless of how we start school, we're going to have to pay attention to what's going on because um, I know both of you keep, really keep up on the news, you're, you're avid readers, but throughout other parts of the state, as instances of COVID increase, as hospitalization rates increase, other counties are starting to shut back down or be more restrictive. So we need to be prepared to either open back up or to be more restrictive. And through distance learning, I think we need to have a unified approach so that our kids don't have the um, disruption that we saw on March 16th when school was normal on Friday and school was gone on Monday. So, you know, we need to kind of continue to move forward. So let's talk about if we move from a phase one, which is distance learning into phase two, that's basically still distance learning, but we would be having some small cohorts of kids potentially coming onto campus at different times with appropriate um, protective equipment, um, uh, supports, and that would be intervention, special education, ELD, those kind of things. But moving into blended learning, and that really is kind of where we are right now in a phase three and in a um, stage three with the state for reopening of higher risk um, enterprises. So if we're in that phase three, and again, we talk about blended learning. Tom and Rain, talk a little bit about what you see as a really strong blended learning program. Ryan, I'll let you get started, then I'll add. Ryan made a face when I said that, so he was hoping you would start. But yeah, that's yeah. I'd like <laughs> to okay, th no thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> so, so, okay, so there's so many factors that go into making sure a blended program works. We were talking about a couple of different models last night. Um, one is the AMPM model for kids coming back to school um, and then having additional content delivered online when they're not at school. The other was having kids come back for two days uh, and then uh, two days a week and then having a day off, uh, not a day off, but a day of distance learning. So they would be in school for two days and then would have three days of distance learning. The blended model means that there is instruction going on at school face-to-face -face with the teacher. And, at the, and then in addition to that, instruction is delivered online. So I think what's important is making sure that there is as much as possible seamless 
delivery of instruction virtually and when children are at school. Right. Yeah, and I, I would agree. It's that it's that seamless, and I think the seamless is also in AB seventy seven, where it talks about not only seamless during the um, uh, blended learning, but seamless as we're going from phase to phase, right? And Ryan, well, I was just going to add a little bit to the blended learning learning piece. Yeah. I mean, the AB seventy seven has language, and Tom touched on it about you know quality professional development to support this. And I think if we're looking at this this two one two model, where you know you're that's what we're calling it. At least you're, you're two, two days with a cohort in person. And then those, those same students are, are at home distance learning for three days. That's, that's that one day. And I think that's a really crucial thing. And some of our teachers and our parents brought that up last night at the board meeting was how important that professional development, that extra day, it's, it's not an extra day. I mean, they're still working, working their tails off, um, preparing for that because we have to remember that we're asking our staff, not just our teaching staff, but our classified staff to, teach like they always have in person, but also teach a whole new method via distance learning. And so that one day of you know dedicated time is pretty crucial to make sure that they're doing this as effectively as, as possible because, you know, new tools are always coming out like Canvas or, or you know, additional resources. So um, anyway, that's a, a big portion, in my opinion, of, of the blended learning models, including that, that dedicated time for our professional development. So... Gentlemen, um, we are at the end of about the first 20 minutes or so, which is about our podcast length. Um, let's continue this in a part two. Uh, we'll put that out a little bit later, but we want to thank everybody for joining us right now. Um, we would encourage you to join us for part two of this podcast, where we're going to talk a little bit more um, about blended learning. We're going to talk a little bit about the full return and whether or not we'll be able to do that. And also what's next. Thank you. <laughs>